The Bible assures that Christians are clean, complete, and at peace with God. But why don't you always feel that way? And how can you get to feeling that way? Well, that's what we're going to talk about right now. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join us live sometime. We're on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. By the way, don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. Okay. I tell you a lot about my life. Those of you who are with me regularly, you know that I use many of my own stories in my teachings. Sometimes that's to make a connection with you. Sometimes that's to relate spiritual principles to you. So today I've got one to relate a spiritual principle to you. For the last year or two, every now and then, I battle a bout of back pain. Now, the first time that it happened, It didn't come on all at once or all that strong. I just kind of grew this increasing stiffness and soreness that I chalked up to my morning workouts. Problem is, I kept ignoring and pushing through the pain, thinking that it would eventually go away. And it didn't. Eventually, I couldn't walk or stand for even five minutes without wanting to scream or cry or die, practically. A couple months rest didn't change anything, nor did over-the-counter pain relievers. Didn't touch it. After four months of pain, four months, I finally surrendered to the aid of a physical therapist. The doctor didn't even have to see me. Within minutes of a phone call, he knew exactly what to prescribe based solely on what I described. He said my brain needed to be pre-trained. Now, in sharing the gist of my situation here, please bear in mind, this is only my story. This is not advice on how to deal with any of your aches or ailments. But as I understand it, due to almost 15 years of amateur weight training and many more years of sitting behind a computer for just about eight hours a day, my body had developed some bad habits. So consequently, When I performed basic activities like standing or bending or squatting, the wrong muscles fired and eventually overcompensated for others, resulting in the pain and stiffness. Crest and the self-directed exercises that I found for a while on YouTube didn't ease the symptoms because the root was in my brain. That's what was directing my muscles in the wrong manner because that's what it had learned over the years. You've heard of muscle memory. This is what that's all about. Well, that makes enough sense to me. Though the prescription didn't make sense to me at first, I was skeptical. The doctor emailed me a handful of video links with protocols to follow for a short time each morning. Most of them asked to contract a certain muscle in my back for a few seconds before I made a small movement with my leg. Nothing major at all, hardly any effort. Just basically thinking about the muscle and moving. So in theory, 
repeating this numerous times over a period of weeks would reprogram my brain to activate the correct muscles for the basic movements of life. Well, the theory worked. Despite little effort on my part, as I said, it worked. And in short order, it worked too. After a week, I was able to stand without pain. And after two weeks, I could go on long walks without pain. Now, of course, it'd be wonderful if I could tell you that that was a permanent fix. But the pain came back. It came back eight or nine months later after an intense season of writing. Not as badly, but just as frustrating. Environment, gravity, natural tendencies, long days hunched over a computer took their toll yet again. And my muscles slipped back into those bad habits, simple as that. But thankfully, the solution was as simple as the last time. A week or two of retraining my brain to fire the right muscles at the right times worked. Like I said earlier, this story has a point. I'm using it to reflect the realities of life in God's design for us both physically and spiritually. This includes the truth of how environment shapes the mind, the truth of how the mind influences the body, and the essence of what the Apostle Paul said is the way of restoration. It's Romans 12.2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Most people know that verse as the renewing of your mind. There's value in both expressions. I like the word renewing because it gets to the heart of how God works through it. To renew something means to resume it back to its original default position after an interruption. Well, when it comes to renewing your mind, renewing you, you first need to know your default position. And here it is. You were made for Eden. We all were. Now, what do I mean by that? Humans were formed out of the ground of Eden and designed to live there. But isn't the Garden of Eden long gone? And yeah, the physical place is. But it becomes possible for each of us to live there today when you know that the Hebrew word for Eden means God's delight. So spiritually, Eden is a place of relating to God as pure, unconditional love. It's a place unaffected by sin. It's a place of permanent rest, void of the need to strive. It's the place that Jesus died to restore us to. How did he do that? For starters, Jesus came to change your mind about God. Look at Mark, verses 1 through 15. Mark has Jesus launching his ministry with this announcement. Very first phrase Mark puts on the lips of Jesus to launch his ministry. Jesus says, Repent and believe the gospel. Now, what does that have to do with changing your mind about God? Everything. I know that repent is often described as a means to get God to change his mind about you, usually involving sobbing and sorrow. That's unfortunate. First, because God's mind never needed to be changed about you, nor will it. You were made in his image. He has always had good and loving thoughts toward you. Secondly, repent doesn't mean to do something to change God's mind. 
It literally is the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind. So in the purest sense of the word, Jesus launched his ministry declaring, I have come to change your mind about God. But to what? What was he trying to convince us of? Your father loves you. Everything Jesus did demonstrated that. Everything he taught revealed that. His parables challenged people consistently with that perspective of God. Is that not the entire point of the parable of the prodigal son? How he realized that his dad loved him, and so he went back home, and they threw a party despite everything he did. This is the message that the Holy Spirit continues to show us today, too. We've been exploring all of this in the last few months of messages, really. So you can check those out in the podcast. But God's love and grace is the heart of the gospel, the means of entering and maintaining a relationship of intimacy with him and the means of any real change. While God's love will continue to transform you all throughout your life, the ultimate change happened upon your initial acceptance of his love through Jesus. You became a new person. We like to quote that verse, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ has become a new person. Well, how did that happen? It wasn't a physical change. It was a spiritual change. The Bible says that your sin nature was cut out and crucified with Christ and that you were infused with the nature of God so that you were righteous and holy just as he is. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on your new nature created to be like God, which is truly righteous and holy. 1 John 4.17 says that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So did you hear that? You are as he is. And that's more than a covering. His identity is not like some spiritual force field that surrounds and protects you so long as you don't accidentally slip out of it. There's no slipping out of Christ. You're in him and he is in you, united together in a way that can't be separated. The Bible calls this being hidden in Christ. That truth alone should put you at rest. It's why you're not in need of self-improvement or fixing, not for God's sake at least. Who you are, as you are, is as right as you can be, as pleasing to God as you can be, and as complete as you can be. But what is more, since you are in him, You are also where he is. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 6. For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Seated with him. To be seated is the ultimate position of rest, and not only because it sounds relaxing. But there's incredible historical significance to this idea, which Paul clearly intended for his readers to notice. You see, under the Old Covenant, there was no seat in the temple where the priests offered sacrifices daily for people's sin. Now, considering all the intricate details of the temple, how could a seat not be there? Well, it wasn't a forgotten detail. The reason the priests couldn't sit is because the work was never done. The priest had to stand because there was always more sin to atone for, more sacrifices to make. But Jesus finished the work. 
his announcement from the cross, it is finished, declared the fulfillment of the law, the end of sin being held against people, and humankind's reconciliation with God the Father, with God as Father. Through Christ, God's plan of restoration is complete. To that end, Jesus offered himself as the final sacrifice. There's no need for another one. I mean, what kind of sacrifice could have greater impact than that of the Son of God? It would be stunningly naive and bold to believe that you could offer something more effective. If even the blood of bulls and goats could not do it, as Hebrews says, then more grief, more giving, more Bible study won't either. Whatever you can name, nothing is as effective at removing sin bringing you close to God and putting you at peace with him as the sacrifice of our high priest, Jesus. So Jesus took a seat. Having finished the work, Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And as one hidden in Christ, Scripture assures that the truest part of you, your spirit, is already at rest with him. That's your default position. But what about the part of you that you see, hear, think, and feel with? Part of you that interacts with other people? Well, that's the part of you called the flesh. And obviously that part of you isn't in heaven yet. It's not seated with God there yet. It's right here, right? And that's why it doesn't enter rest so automatically. It's got to be taught to rest. And this is what the renewing of the mind does. Now we're getting to the how. But let's talk about why your flesh gets out of sync with your spirit. We live in a fallen world where things routinely slip out of their God-designed functions and order. My back pain occasionally is a case in point. But as I discovered through physical therapy, I know that God designed my mind and muscles to work correctly. Yet sometimes they get out of sync. Because of various factors, my body forgets to operate as it was designed and either picks up bad habits or reverts to old habits and cue the pain. Well, the stress, the frustration, and the unrest that we feel sometimes so intensely happens for the same reason. Not because God isn't good, and not because you're not good with God. At the risk of sounding repetitive here, as a Christian, you no longer have a sin nature. In other words, you being a sinner is not the problem because you're not a sinner, even though you still sin. Sinner is not your identity. Your default is righteous in Christ. Your real position is at rest with Jesus at the right hand of God. So I'll say it again. You, the real you, are not the problem. So what is the problem? The patterns of the fallen world upon your flesh. You can't escape the influence of them. And part of this has to do with science. Your environment began to program your brain before you could ever make a conscious choice. As a child, everything you saw, heard, felt, tasted, touched, shaped your mind almost instantly. 
When you experienced something repetitively, your brain created a pathway. Now, this still happens as an adult, but slower. It's how you picked up language and music and math. Some of us better than others, obviously. It determines how you see things and how you process information. Scientists have learned that the more experiential something is, the more quickly a pathway is made and the more entrenched it is. And that's how you learn to avoid things that hurt you, like a hot stovetop or a parent or a church. That's how I learned to avoid anything that might lead to rejection, including being myself for so many years. From consistent shunning by others my age as a kid, I built walls to keep people away. I also discovered that I could perform in ways that kept people focused on other things. But if someone somehow got close or loud enough with a similar word or action from the past, one of those pathways would regurgitate an old fear or thought. Then for at least a moment, usually days or weeks, I would forget who I am in Christ and feel and react as somebody who was not safe, secure, or loved. Now, I know I just said that in the past tense. Don't believe for a second that I'm immune from the patterns of the world and all the stinking thinking it can influence. Trust me, I'm not. I'm also not immune from all the tricks of the enemy. He's a very real foe behind some of our unrest too. I'll be at a defeated foe. And I got to say that. While he undoubtedly exists, too many Christians live fearfully believing the devil has unrestricted access to do whatever he wants with them. So much of today's spiritual warfare teaching is based upon this fallacy. It teaches people to do all kinds of spiritual jumping jacks so that the enemy has no right to them. Talk about exhausting. The truth is, as a believer, the enemy already has no right to you. Colossians 2.15 says that the cross disarmed his power. Besides, the devil can't even find where you are, not the real you, because your real life is hidden in Christ, remember? That's why the enemy shouts. His voice is the only way he can influence you. Through accusations, lies, and slander, he attempts to manipulate your mind so that you forget who you are and what you have in Christ, and that's all the power he has. Now, that can be powerful. And as I said, I still hear his lies and slander. They can still trigger thoughts that make me feel and react negatively. The difference, though, between now and then, or, yeah, now and years ago, is that I have learned the source of these thoughts so that I don't as easily slip into prove, perform, or pretend mode. From wherever they originate, from whatever they originate. I know that though the thoughts are in me, they are not me. My flesh and all the attitudes and emotions and actions it produces are not me. That's why they won't go to heaven with me. You know, we get a new body in heaven. Our spirit goes to heaven. Our body doesn't. The flesh doesn't. And it's the same for you. The pain you feel, the struggles you face, the mistakes you make, they might come from someplace inside of you. But you must know that they aren't you. They don't define you. 
That's why the way to experience peace and rest in a way that you can feel is to remember who you truly are. That's what the renewal of the mind is all about. It's changing your thinking to remember who you really are. You might also think of it as teaching your thoughts the truth. That's how Paul put it in his second letter to the Corinthians. They were battling the flesh. And that will come as no surprise to anybody who knows much about the Corinthian culture back then. It was inundated with carnality, somehow even with no smartphones or internet. Apparently, not everybody in the Corinthian church escaped the culture's influence. And not all that different from today, there arose a debate over how to address the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul ended the debate acknowledging that though we walk in the flesh physically, we don't deal with it through human methods and willpower. In verse 5, he says, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We teach our thoughts the truth. The way to do that is not with do's and don'ts. That's evident enough as you continue through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, but also from his other letters. So what is the way? To the Ephesians, he wrote, put on your new nature. To the Romans, he said, clothe yourself with Christ. To the Colossians, he urged, clothe yourself with love. To the Philippians, he encouraged, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. These are all various ways to say, think about God's love and grace and who you are because of it. In time, this then helps you see according to grace and hear according to grace and live according to grace. And that's rest. That's living in God's delight right here and right now. Well, what does this look like right here and right now? It looks like taking truth to the symptoms of lies like fear, discouragement, insecurity, and shame just as soon as you recognize them. I just finished writing my next book just this week. And I can tell you, I have to do this even when writing, even on my fourth one. Because what happens when writing is kind of like what happens when you spray for pests. Many of the ugly critters that you didn't know existed come out. Hopefully they come out to die, but they come out nonetheless and you got to deal with them. Well, insecurities often surface, which sound like, who are you to write on that topic? Or people re will reject you if you tell that story. All kinds of things you hear in the process. And there usually comes a point when the pressure of the deadline makes me believe that I don't have enough to say nor enough time to say it. Crippling anxiety can arise from thoughts like these, and you can't work those away. You have to believe them away. In those moments, I remember truths about myself, like I am clean and complete. I remember truths about God, like God is good and he is with me and he is for me. Often it takes a set or two of repetitions for my mind to snap back to reality and my flesh to follow suit but it works. As for you, you might find it helpful to search for a Bible verse related to whatever you face. That's what my Shut Up Devil app is all about. When you find one, read it, then think about it. 
I like to paraphrase a scripture in a way that's personal to me or my situation. I find that helps me identify with or put on the truth of it. Just be sure to choose grace-based scriptures, not law-based ones. God loves me may be the best place to begin. I'm convinced that you can go on muttering that under your breath for the rest of your life and handle whatever life throws at you. Some of you might remember that a couple years ago, I had Susie Larson on my podcast. She wrote the foreword for my book, Shut Up Devil, but she's also an author herself, like more than a dozen books. She's a daily radio host too. She's very open about her battles with Lyme's disease and neurological disorder and so much more, things that I can't even imagine the mind games that it provokes. Well, she said that for a time, she found it helpful to speak, God loves me, as often as she thought, God, I love you. That was actually kind of a reminder. Every time she wanted to say, God, I love you, she repeated, God loves me. And that helped her. Well, as you might guess from someone who created the Shut Up Devil app, I'm a huge believer in speaking truth too. It isn't required for mind renewal, but it sure is helpful. After all, speaking is a consistent theme in scripture. God spoke creation into existence. Israel's practice of meditation involved speaking. Jesus taught that speaking to circumstances can change them. And from a scientific perspective, our bodies seem to be designed to react to it. Psychologists find that speaking the same idea consistently helps it stick far more than rereading it. And that comes down to the formation of those pathways I spoke about earlier. I explore all of that in Shut Up Devil. Having said all of this, I have to caution you. Don't make a law out of mind renewal. Whenever this or any other principle becomes a must-do or an ought-to or a should-do or a have-to. You've left the sure foundation of God's love and will be prone to all the nasty effects of striving. While there are scientific reasons why changing your thoughts work, the real work takes place in the Spirit. As Paul said, it's God who does the transformation. In his own way, And in his own time, he changes you from the inside out by sinking your flesh with the realities of who you are and what you have in him, one truth at a time. That's my story. And it's an ongoing story. And it'll be for you too. God will continue to bring you to fresh insights about his goodness and love, which will change your life. He's committed to your transformation. But as you wait for him to do what only he can do, rest in his grace. God is good and you are good with God. Besides, what he wants most for you is to sit and enjoy him while he lives his life through you. Okay, I know that with a message like this, I have to tell you how I can help you beyond it. I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't. On the topic of mind renewal, one of the best ways that I can help you is through my scripture reflection journal, Think on These Things. This journal begins with a chapter on mind renewal. 
parent is. And then I lead you through 30 days of grace-based scriptures that I handpicked for topics such as worth and significance, God's love and forgiveness, identity and purpose, strength and faith. I provide journaling prompts for each scripture with space to help you rephrase it into something personal about you or your situation. Like I said in the message, Paul encouraged to fix your thoughts on what is lovely and good. This journal helps you do it in a way that helps change your life. We'll ship a journal right out to you if you order it on my website at kylewinkler.org journal. And these are great for your whole family to go through. That's why there's a discount offer if you order five or more. All the details are right there on the website, kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.